Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's show, I am delighted to continue with our 2024 mini-series, which we have very simply called Hope. Today, it is a pleasure to welcome one of my clients, Georgia, to the show. Georgia is a consultant behaviour analyst running intervention programmes for children with autism, and this includes school and home programmes. She is 37 years old and she has been trying to conceive for two years prior to starting IVF. Georgia, welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. Hi, Maria. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Could we start with your story, Georgia? How have you ended up here today? Sure. So we got married in August 2021, and we basically started our TTC journey pretty much the next month after the wedding, so September 2021. We tried for about five months with no success before I um, decided to call the GP to ask for, for a test. And I kind of knew that they have to run some tests on me on specific days of the cycle. And so I asked my husband to call his GP first to go for testing while we're waiting for my cycle to start. We are under different GPs, uh, me and my husband. And my husband's GP refused to run any tests on him before I got my investigations done first, which we found quite odd at that stage because all we really wanted was to speed up the process. They've only done two blood tests on me and a sperm analysis on my husband. About four months after that initial phone call, we found that that some of the sperm parameters were, were subnormal. Of course, we were both devastated at that stage, and we only had Dr. Google to consult. <laughs> mm-hmm. After we got my husband's results, my GP informed me that they will make a referral to the fertility clinic for further advice. And I remember we even got a message confirming that we had that referral made, and we have to wait four weeks or so before they get in touch. After four weeks, we called the practice and found out a referral was actually not made. And again, We insisted to have the referral sent and we waited another four weeks from there with no support or advice from them during this time. At that point, we decided to go privately, actually, while we were waiting for NHS, just for testing and advice. And um, we found out I had this endometrial polyp that is removing and everything else was fine with me. Pero analysis again came back with subnormal results. Actually, there were some improvements because we've made some changes straight away with lifestyle and less smoking and alcohol and some supplements, again, advised by Dr. Google, (laughs) no one else. (laughs) And we've been told at that stage by the private clinic that we need to do IVF with ICSI. We did ask them a lot of questions on how to improve the sperm parameters, what are the best supplements, what other fertility tests can my husband do? How we can both prepare for for IVF, we did ask them all these questions, but not much advice was given to us in any of these areas. They were just pushing for IVF. 
So meantime, we got a call from the NHS Fertility Clinic that they are ready to take us in for tests. I had a hycosi, a laparoscopic procedure to remove the polyp and check for endometriosis. Luckily, they couldn't find any endo. And my husband again has his sperm analysis repeated with subnormal results. We were only advised to take Proxid. Uh, my mm. husband had to take Proxid at that point and to keep trying for another three months just in case that polyp was an obstacle. But I believe that was just a strategy again to delay the whole process. Of course, we had no joy after <laughs> three months and still lots of unanswered questions. We were still doing our own research at that uh, point. And we came across uh, Fertility Network UK at some point on this journey, actually. We joined the Him Fertility Group, which is this group of very brave men who meet every month, if I remember well, and they talk about their struggles with infertility. One of their guests at some point was Dr. Jonathan Ramsey. Oh, and I, we love yeah. him. Honestly, he comes up in pretty much every interview we do. He is fantastic. I remember that we thought he might be the only doctor actually to do proper tests and give us some some answers. And we saw Dr. Ramsey um, a few months after that Zoom call. He has done uh, a lot of tests on my husband. So he's done some scans, a DNA fragmentation test, a hormonal test, and look at some of the parameters of the sperm that nobody else looked at before, such as the volume. So that he actually looked properly at all the tests that he's done before my husband, and he analyzed them, and he did give us lots of answers as to why some of the parameters were not improving. And I think we had for the first time like a heart-to-heart conversation with someone talking about all things male fertility and IVF. How did your husband feel about all of this? We had different coping strategies. He had to deal with the fact that his lifestyle had to change. He had to quit smoking. He had to reduce the alcohol, which means less social interaction. The diet as well, whatever I found on Google. He had to deal with all that, plus the blame for the situation. But also the fact that he saw me, how stressed I am, and then he was blaming himself for that as well. There was no support. I think that was really hard at that stage for him. I think one of the things that I kind of think about it a lot is this kind of idea of intimacy when you're going through fertility, because you've got the kind of physical intimacy of you learn a lot about your body (laughs) and your partner learns a lot about your body. And you have to be really careful because the romance can go out the window and there's this physical side of things but there's also the emotional side when it comes to intimacy as well and and I know that it can be really difficult and it can make or break relationships because you have to have these really difficult conversations. We've been together for almost nine years now so at that point I think we were together for like seven years but we've never had heavy conversations the way we had them during this journey. We had to learn ourselves on how to have this conversation and later on we did have some counseling as well to help with that. That was also very useful. But again, it was a learning process for us. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing because it is hard. No one tells you like you, you meet, you get married, you have the wedding, you try for a baby and no one puts in. And then you have to have really serious conversations about fertility. Like that isn't in the Hollywood movies. And it's no wonder, I think, that people are ill prepared for how on earth do you communicate about this situation that you find yourselves in. So I do appreciate you sharing because a lot of people will be in a similar situation, regardless of where the the fertility issues lie. It's a really difficult conversation to have with people. What was the next stage? What happened then? After we saw Dr. Ramsey, actually, we did have some treatment from him as well. He did advise on supplements and other 
medication and what to take. But we found out actually a month after we saw Dr. Ramsey that we got our funding approved for IVF from NHS. And that was a um, one round funding. That was in February 2023. And uh, we started IVF in July. So then we knew that we have five months to prep. And we met you actually and Julia. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, time, this is yeah. where we come in. <laughs> yeah, so in February, we got the funding approved. In March, we started the course with you and, and Julia Young, the nutritionist. We joined your six weeks course on nutrition and fertility for, and fitness for fertility. And I did really like that course. I think what I liked the most was the fact that both you and Julia laid out some clear steps for us on what we have to do to improve fertility and, and prep for IVF. I had myself some issues. I had my fertility tests like Hycosi and the surgery. And then I um, had to take antibiotics after each one. And then I ended up with um, urine infection and again, antibiotics. And all those antibiotics impacted my gut a lot. So I really needed someone to help me with that. And I was worried that I will go into IVF and pregnancy with that as well. We had the one-to-one with Julia to discuss my tests and my supplements. My husband had that as well. He had the same. He had one-to-one with Julia to discuss supplements. It was just clear for us what we need to take, the right dosage for everything, the best quality supplements, I think. And we really understood why we have to take those. Plus, we discussed all the lifestyle changes and the sleep hygiene and the toxins Mm -hmm. and all that. You've mentioned Dr. Google a lot, which I completely can relate to. How much difference was there between what you were finding on Google and then the just that you had to make after you ended up with professional advice? Oh, it's a lot of confusing information on Google, of course. Some <laughs> people say it, it takes zinc. How much to take, it doesn't really say. Which one is the best one? I think it just says take CoQ10, but then what's the best CoQ10? Or take Omega-3, but then nobody says what the best Omega-3 is because we did find out afterwards when we were doing the course that there's a big difference. And they have to be of a certain quality and dosage to actually work. And I remember when we found out about my husband's issue, I did make a long list of supplements from Google, but there were no improvements. I think that is one of the things that, again, I've learned through working with nutritionists like Julia is that not all supplements are equal. Not all brands make the same quality supplements. And because the supplement is affecting your individual body, you as an individual will be different to the person next to you. I would strongly suggest, like you did, just seeking professional advice on that because they do make a difference. One of the key things people listening to the podcast want to know is, and the reason we're doing this HOPE series is, if we imagine that we were back in the situation where we were trying to conceive and we're sitting there going, right, what did you actually do? What would be some of the things that that did make a difference for you? I mean, definitely getting the right tests. That's the yeah. first thing. And uh, for my husband and me as well, I mentioned the course, the nutritionist, that definitely made a big difference. And we started with you as well, doing the fitness part of things. I mean, my husband was already an active person. He loved his running and he continued doing that. So he's, he's always been good with that. On my side, however, I was always terrified. I mean, I've always been active as well. However, since I'm, I've started this journey, I was scared to do anything as we are. You're just cautious that, you know, if you push yourself too much at the gym, you might ruin something or you might just not get pregnant because you push too much. And you're always in those two-week waits every single month. And that's kind of half of the month 
when you just want to make sure that everything you do is perfect. And I think for me, one of the issues with the workouts, I was, I was doing some yoga at, at that point when I met you, but I was still feeling quite weak. I needed to push myself a little bit more in a safe way. That's, that's when I started your workouts. It make a difference. I, I felt kind of different already. I felt a bit stronger. And um, I've also done it for my mental health. The counseling, that really helped as well. For people listening who are considering counseling, was it that it mainly helped you to have the conversation? Was it that it helped you with the communication? Like, how did it benefit you, would you say? You want some support on this journey. It's very hard to get it from your friend and family, or it's very hard to get it from people who have not been through this. And I think that's one of the, the issues that I had, is to find that safe space to talk to someone about this without being advised to be more positive or less stressed and all that thing that probably everybody knows. About. And I think that was one of the, um, the reasons why I did go into counseling to have someone, to have that safe space to talk about it. I needed to talk about it. Although friends and family love us a lot and they do love me a lot. If they have not been through this, they, they just don't get it. And um, they are very uncomfortable with the fact that you are so stressed and they say all, all sorts of things. And then you slowly, slowly, you just don't open up to them anymore. Because you've explained it very, very nicely. People perhaps find your stress uncomfortable. So gradually, gradually it wears away and you start opening up less because you, you don't want the stress of them being uncomfortable. But then ultimately that has an effect on that relationship and the intimacy of that relationship. And you end up, I know people can't see me, but yeah. my hands are moving further and further yes. apart. Mm -hmm. And then that has an, an ultimate effect on those relationships as well. And you've just reminded me actually that I was speaking to someone the other day and they were saying that since their sister has become pregnant, they haven't been able to speak and they were really close. And, um, and it's really hard. It goes to show the importance of the therapy and the counselling. Yeah, it does happen to me as well in my family. I had um, someone who was pregnant and I did distance myself from them. But then what I got from my counsellor and my therapist actually was just to accept that that's okay. I would have struggled the most. I was blaming myself. I was that continuous kind of, oh, but I need to feel fine. I need to talk to them. I can't distance myself from my friends and my family. And I think the counselor, what she said was, it's okay. It's just a temporary thing. It's not going to be forever. And you just have to accept that. And just, I think one of the most powerful messages that I got from my therapist was validating my, my emotions and then, then just saying that it's okay to feel the way you feel, given the circumstances. It's, it's perfectly fine. Don't try to be positive. Don't try so hard for other people's sake to be optimistic and positive because it's not working for you. So I think that was one of the most powerful kind of, even now I get a bit emotional when I talk about it. It's too tiring to try to be positive in that situation. So, And I was stressed about being too stressed because I thought that that's impacting my fertility. And then she's like, no, it's not. You just have to create your own coping mechanism with stress, of course, because the situation itself, it is stressful. Doesn't mean that you're not pregnant because you're stressful. It means that you just have to continue to develop some coping mechanisms for the stress. And your workouts were on my list when it comes to a toolkit for coping with stress. Because I do remember I developed this long list of strategies on how to deal with stress. And I was engaging in all those behaviors and those activities to make sure I'm, I'm doing something for that as well. But yeah, definitely your workout. I remember regular exercise and nature walks. That was on my list. <laughs> They're massive. I remember you saying, you were like, 
listen, Maria, they're only half an hour. I think you were like, I didn't think they'd make that much difference, but they do. And I think what you were saying was because it was kind of 30 minutes, two to three times a week, that was doable and it was manageable. It wasn't like you said earlier, just smashing it in the gym for a week. It was, I am always banging on about consistency. (laughs) Consistency is key, but you did an amazing job. I just want to mention that I'd never worked out at home before those workouts. So I was always working out in the gym. And then when you gave us that program, I started working out at home and I found that so comfortable that I, it motivated me to continue because it was not much efforts and they were quite convenient. They were quite short as well, as you said. And yeah, definitely that motivated me to continue. I'm really pleased actually, because yeah, we do get a mix of people. Some people prefer the gym, some people prefer at home, but you're a busy woman. You've got a job. Most of the women I work with, they are busy people. They have jobs. And they've said to me before, they were like, Maria, if you work out an hour, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so mm. I said, okay, fine. We won't make it an hour because I would rather you just did it. You did really well. You just did it. Consistency. You did really well. Yeah. I surprised myself again on how consistent I was. Even now in pregnancy, I'm following your pregnancy program. And that's one of the key things that I go from it is that when you do short, you are consistent. And I think that's the probably the most important thing when it comes to workout, just consistency, no matter what workout you do. 100%. I'm really pleased actually it helped with the mental health side of things as well. Based on kind of the difficulty of, of everything you've been through, the physical side of it, the mental side of it, the relationship side of it, did you ever consider stopping? Did you ever think, I'm done here? No, no. We never consider stopping. I remember actually this was one of the questions that my therapist asked me if I would be considered <laughs> stopping. Rather than losing hope, I always felt that there is more to do and there's more to find out and more doctors to talk to and more questions to be answered before we make that big decision like giving up. So I've, I've always wanted a child. I love children. I'm, I've been working with them for 16 years now. After two years of trying to conceive, I think we had numerous plans, but giving up was not one of them. I remember when she did ask me that question first time, I didn't know what to say because I was like, oh, but I never thought of that. I mean, <laughs> it's like, is that, should I consider that? Oh my God, do I have to consider that now? I think what she was trying to do is to make me think, to be quite flexible in my thinking, to be quite flexible in my expectations, in my plans, and not to just say that well, I want this and this is going to happen and that's it. I love your therapist. No idea who she is, but I love her. She sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's my type of therapist. So you've done the mental work, you've done the therapy, you've done the work with your husband. What happened then? Did you get to the IVF and how did that go? Yes. Yeah, so we've started IVF in July uh, 2023. We had our first round with a fresh transfer and it worked. Yeah. First time. Yeah. That is amazing with a fresh and, transfer as well. Yeah. I was very surprised as well. That's why I've done 17 tests after that. <laughs> To make sure that's real. <laughs> exactly, 17. That's the number. Did you test before the clinic tested? Did you wait? How did it work for you? Oh, I did wait two weeks. Yeah, I wow. said two weeks. I think I was just worried that if I test too early, it might be some confusing results there. So I did wait um, for two weeks. It was nice to feel pregnant until proven otherwise, as they yeah. say. And yeah, I did wait. And I did test in the morning. I've done three tests on that first day all at the same time, just different brands to make sure they're all <laughs> kind of accurate. Just <laughs> get that done. All positive. And then um, I continued testing until the viability scan because I had no symptoms. So I think mm-hmm. one of the, I was lucky, I suppose, and even until now, I didn't have any of those classic 
first trimester symptoms like nausea, morning sickness, or any of that.、Mm-hmm. So I needed something to confirm that I'm still pregnant. Yeah.、Um, and yeah, I had the viability scan a few weeks later,、mm. and everything was fine. It's amazing. How did you find the actual process of IVF? I guess we haven't really talked about that. How how was it for you? Physically speaking, it wasn't that hard. So it wasn't. I think I remember asking the nurse of one of the scans. I just said,、oh, "I'm not feeling anything. Like I'm not feeling anything growing. I'm not. The injections are very easy to do. Nothing is painful. I'm quite energetic. I'm, I mean, I'm bloated, but nothing more than that. <laughs> However, emotionally, it was again a roller coaster. There was all that waiting from one scan to another, from one appointment to another, from one step of the IVF to another.、Uh, that was that was very very tough." For me,、mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so again, not so much the physical side, but the emotional side、mm-hmm. of the IVF was was the struggle.、Mm, absolutely, and it does affect everybody differently. And you know what? I feel like you did your time. You know, yeah. You know, so, I'm I'm glad it it was physically at least relatively kind of straightforward for you. So you've gone through the actual IVF process. Luckily, physically, it wasn't too horrendous for、mm-hmm. you, which fabulous, good. Mentally, it is a roller coaster. Of course, I mean it's bad enough when you're not going through IVF and you've got the two week、mm-hmm. wait. Let alone all the injections that they're they're kind of pumping you with. You managed to wait a whole two weeks. I kind of by down before you. I was always the ten days post ovulation, weaning on a、mm-hmm. stick, and then being annoyed that it was negative type of girl. So you know, I have a lot of respect for you <laughs> hanging out for the full two weeks. How have you found then being pregnant after going through everything you've been through? I mean, I do feel amazing being pregnant, but I think I've actually started enjoying my pregnancy more. I was thinking about it after the twenty-week scan. I think I started enjoying my pregnancy more, starting buying maternity clothes and all that. First trimester, it was a lot of excitement, but also a lot of anxiety. I think it's hard to believe after you've had so many negative tests for so long that all of a sudden you're pregnant. It's so hard to believe. Plus, it's the first time, so I didn't, I couldn't really believe that that worked the first time. Um, so there was a lot of anxiety. I've done a lot of private scans in between the NHS scans. I was scanning like almost every week just to make sure it's still there. That was my coping mechanism, I suppose. But now I think after the twenty-week scan, I do feel that I'm enjoying my pregnancy more. I have to say, you're looking really well. <laughs> I can see you. You are looking fabulous. Your skin is looking fabulous. Your hair is looking fabulous. It's working for you. Roshan and I are very keen to bring good information. And as much hope as we can bring. So, what type of advice would you give to others who are going through this journey? Maybe you know a couple of pieces of advice. What would you say to people? Sure, I think this advice probably is, is given by everyone who's been through this journey to get tested from the very beginning and not、mm-hmm. delay the testing. I think that was our struggle, right? All that waiting was the killer. Even if you have to go privately and test, but I think that would that would have. Made a big difference for us,、um, just to have all the tests done from the beginning, and we at least know what's going on, and we don't have to wait month after month and get more and more frustrated. Another advice would be to join groups such as the Fertility Network UK and Infertility. If you deal with male factor infertility, they've been very helpful. To consider the holistic approaches, again, big difference for us, and get in touch with good, experienced fertility nutritionists. Because they have so much information on what tests to do, supplements, lifestyle changes, latest research, and everything. Definitely, I would advise that just to find your tribe, just to find people who've been through this journey, and that they truly get what you're going through. Plus, they also have a lot of information about this process. I remember I found this group of amazing ladies called the Pod. 
from the Peanut app. There was an amazing lady there who set up this group with, uh, I think we were 70 in that group at some stage, with regular meetups. And they've all been going, they all had their own journeys with IVF and infertility. And again, that was a really helpful group for me to be in and to join and to do those meetups and just look after your mental health. Georgia, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And, you know, we, we do chat, but it's been lovely to actually get into it a little bit more and to, to have a really good conversation that was uh, pretty emotional at times, actually. And the advice that you've mm. given today and just how you've told your story has been uh, really quite moving. And uh, it will help the listeners. I'm sure it will. So a massive thank you for coming on and for giving us your time today. And we will keep in touch. I cannot wait to see cute baby pictures. Another fitness fertility baby. I'm so excited. <laughs> so congratulations and thank, thank you so much you. for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Georgia, it's so amazing. What really touched me about her story was she was very candid about her need to go to therapy, her levels of stress and her reaction to friends and family in trying to deal with their stress. That idea of other people's concern about you starts forcing you away and isolates you more, which is obviously the opposite of what we should try and do when we're in crisis. We should go towards community. But it makes it really clear for me that it must be a fertility community to truly understand. Mm. Otherwise, the interactions will just be stressful. We have said it before, but it is worth saying again, your best friend might be your best friend, but if they haven't been through fertility, it is just really hard to understand what someone's going through. And I am delighted that Georgia finds her people because, you know, you can hear in her voice just when she's reliving it, it made a massive, massive difference to her. And I think just be yourself. You're not having to, like she was saying, pretend to be positive. You can just be what you are on that day. And that's okay because she says it's really tiring. It's like masking, isn't it? It's really tiring trying to be positive, trying to do all the things you're supposed to do when really you just want to be grumpy because your period's just arrived. And to be with people where you can do that is is a really lovely situation to be in. As a complete aside, and it's an interesting idea about the, the cult of positivity, mm -hmm. where we must be positive, we must be, oh, don't talk yourself down, we must be positive. And sometimes, as you said, when you've got the reality of what's just happened to you, you've just mm. got your period. In that moment, asking someone to not be stressed and to be positive is, is absolutely the worst possible piece of advice I think you can give someone. The other thing, I think we're on a bit of a run with Julia Young. But for the last mm. two episodes, we've name-checked Julia Young. So we should remind everyone that Julia Young's a fantastic fertility nutritionist. She's been on the show. We are going to link that show in our show notes so you can mm -hmm. find it. Because what Julia doesn't know about nutrition, fertility is not worth knowing. And actually, if you fancy coming along to meet Julia uh, and me, <laughs> I'll be there as well. We're actually holding a free event on Monday, January the 22nd, completely free, where we just talk you through kind of simple steps that you can take to optimise your fertility. Um, so if you're interested, DM me on Instagram, email me at info at fitnessfertility.com and I'll book you a place. But do come along, come and say hello, ask us your questions. Yeah, it's the meeting of medicine, holistic treatments and mind, isn't it? We keep hearing it every single time with these stories of hope that come through. Mm. And talking about stories of hope, what will we be speaking about next week? 
In next week's show, I am so excited. We are going to be talking to none other than the fertility detective. The fertility detective, you will find her on Instagram. And as you might imagine, she is fantastic at trying to figure out where the problem is and sharing a wealth of information that you may not have come across before. Make sure you tune in. It's going to be a fantastic conversation and I can't wait for you all to hear it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week. And please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult with your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.